Friends, welcome to another episode of Leadosophy, where you're here with an open mind because that's the rule, not the exception. Welcome everybody. Today's episode is one of my one of my favorite pastimes, which is reflection upon an interview I did. So a little bit of analysis and reflection post interview with uh, with Kevin Morgan, Chief Warrant Officer for Kevin Morgan from that U.S. from the U.S. Coast Guard. That interview I did with him last week. So. Hope you enjoyed. Actually, I think it was on Monday. Hopefully, you uh, hope you enjoyed that interview. If you haven't, go back and check it out. I'll link that interview uh, in the comments below. But I want to talk about some things he said, things such as regression to the mean. We talked about regressing back to this kind of average mode of leadership, and I wondered where we all at on that on that idea of regressing to the mean. He talked about not being able to change his ways after a certain amount of period were molded. Is that true? Are we molded as leaders and or are we set on a trajectory in a certain way and we can't change direction or change our leadership style? And a few other things he talked about that I want to I want to dive into in this in this episode, including the analogy of making spaghetti dinner, but you don't get the shop for the ingredients. And he was talking about in the military how, you know, we are the people we serve with, we don't often get to pick who we serve with. We don't get to hire our team. It's hired for us by by military headquarters, at least in the Coast Guard anyway. So, all right, I hope you enjoy this interview. Here we go. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution, you are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of leadosophy, Tim Wood. All right, friends, leadosophy friends, welcome back to the show. Again, you're here with an open mind because that's the rule and not the exception. I want to talk about why I enjoy analysis, post-analysis interviews. It's because I get to use my own tools of philosophical thought to deepen my understanding of the conversation I had with someone. And I think I mentioned this on, on other episodes before, but when I'm interviewing somebody, a lot of times I'm focusing on the questions and, and coming up with new organic questions based on what they're talking about. And I like to go back and listen to those interviews and see what I can pick up post post interview. And that's kind of what I'm doing today with, with Kevin's interview, chief warrant officer for Kevin Morgan, because there were some things he said that I didn't really catch the first time I listened to the interview and I caught it again. And again, helps me deepen my understanding of, of what leadership means, improving my understanding, understanding or the pursuit of mastery of, of the field of leadership from a theoretical standpoint, and then marrying the theoretical with the practical before I dive into Kevin's comments, you may not be watching this. If you're not watching, I'm holding up a coffee cup, a little sea story here. On the coffee cup, it says Coast Guard wife. So when my wife assumed command of this Coast Guard unit in Cape Disappointment, Washington, Ilwaco, Washington, which is southwest corner of Washington State, when she assumed command of that search and rescue unit, our first couple of weeks in town, we were down in the harbor and went into a store. And the owner of the store 
gave me this coffee cup and I was told that he expected me to be a woman, the spouse of the new Coast Guard commanding officer. So that's why he had the cup made or the coffee cup made that says Coast Guard wife. So funny story, I was expected to be uh, the person taking command and not actually my wife. Um, but yeah, so I'm the Coast Guard spouse. I have the coffee cup that says Coast Guard wife. And my wife is in charge of the Coast Guard station. So that's my little sea story of when we showed up to, to Ilwaka, Washington, Cape Disappointment. All right, Kevin's interview. Let's first talk about what he said in the beginning. He, he talked about, you know, he, talk, he gave the, the analogy of being a dog who's been allowed to jump on the couch for 20 years and all of a sudden you're going to tell him that you can't jump on the couch. And he was talking about being able to change leadership styles. Or once you are, you're, you're molded, you're on this trajectory as a leader and how if someone wants to introduce new leadership styles or practices or ideas or methods, if you're molded in a certain way, how are you going to be able to change that? Or if your leadership style is not effective, can you change course? And I find that interesting because there's a lot of self-help leadership books and I wonder how effective they are. Which is, which is interesting from, I mean, there's not just leadership self-help books. They're just uh, character self-help books. I mean, just trying to improve yourself in any field. It doesn't have to be the field of leadership. But do they work? What does it take to take tips or ideas from self-help ideas and, and, and apply that to, say, your leadership style? Can you put that into practice in the field? I think Maybe. Whether it's trying to be, I think, from a emotional intelligence standpoint, let's say you may be identified as a leader that lacks empathy. Can you change that? Can you work on the empathetic skills? I think so. I don't know. What do you think? I would love to hear your, your feedback on that. And empathy is just one thing I think of. There's a ton, a ton of different... Uh, I guess, different ideas or, or skills or traits we could work on. But as far as your character traits go and how they apply to how you lead, can you change those? What's changeable? What's malleable? And then what is fixed and rigid, right? One of the last courses I had in, in Gonzaga was identifying your strengths and weaknesses. And one of the weaknesses I identified going back into my in my time in and leadership was I tended to place too much emphasis on trying to make the perfect decision sometimes. And I think that can almost cause paralysis. It can cause you not to act. When you put so much emphasis on how you're going to act, that can cause you not to act or significant delays in action. When you're searching for the perfect answer, right, that can be a detriment to what the answer actually should be. So can I, is that something I can work on? Can I change that after being like that for so many years? You know, this, and again, this is something I identified nearly 25 years after my Coast Guard career started. I noticed that in an academic setting. So I, I don't know. It was just a, it was a good thought that Kevin brought up. I wanted to, maybe add some more context to what he was talking about 
when he was explaining his favorite type of leaders that he's worked for and the leader that he tries to emulate, it's leaders that have your back. And I want to reemphasize that knowing Kevin as well as I do, it's not leaders that have your back unconditionally. You know, if you make a terrible decision, just a blatantly terrible decision, that's not, Kevin's not talking about leaders should still have your back, right? They may help you through making that terrible decision, but they should tell you it was a terrible decision and act accordingly. I think what we're talking about more specifically is the leaders, when you do make a good decision, but it's a tough decision and probably maybe not a popular decision or maybe can cause a lot of a lot of waves in the organization, shake a lot of things up, maybe shake a lot of mental models up. Those are the, those are the leaders Kevin's talking about. They, he hopes they still have his back because even though he made the right decision, it may have been unpopular, may have caused a lot of discomfort to the people above you, right? To leaders above you, your boss, your boss's boss. Maybe, again, maybe I brought a lot of visibility or a heat on a situation an attention on a situation, I would say probably warranted attention. If a decision is unpopular, but it's the right decision, if it brings a lot of attention to an organizational problem or issue, that is a good thing. And the people that run away from that are people that probably maybe should not be in positions of leadership or they're afraid of positions of leadership. They're maybe on this island of survival and they just want the status quo to continue because it's comfortable. That's not leadership. That's not leadership. So those are the leaders Kevin is talking about when he, when they say have his back, have his back through the unpopular decisions, especially the correct decisions that were unpopular. Right. And he talked about investigating, you know, when, in the Coast Guard and I, and I did this, I was in my last couple of years in the Coast Guard, I was part of was called a mishap analysis team. Mishap analysis and investigation team, assistance team. Yeah, mishap analysis and assistance team. That's what it was called. It's been a while, folks, six, seven years. Whew. Anyways, our job, when there was a boating accident in the Coast Guard, and I mean a Coast Guard boat, a Coast Guard boat crew that got into an accident, whether they sunk a boat, they hit another boat, they hit a person, Something happened internally in the organization that caused this mishap analysis and assistance team. We would go out in the field to these units that had this, this mishap or accident. Mishap is just another word for an accident, boating accident. And we would try to pull that accident apart and try to figure out what, what happened, what went wrong, right? Was there human error involved? Was it mechanical failure? Was it a combination of both? Were there policies or procedures that were in place, that were poorly written or not in place at all or in place and they shouldn't have been there that contributed to this mishap or accident. And Kevin was talking about, you know, the Coast Guard, it it can appear sometimes that mishap investigators that come into a unit can want to tear the unit apart and try to find something wrong. And that's that's the one example that he was giving as far as the, the, the person who you know, when Kevin made this decision, it was very hard at one of his Coast Guard units. And it was a mishap technically, but they could have potentially saved life. He was talking about the person who went straight to, we got to come in and do this mishap 
investigation, not, hey, good job. So Kevin was juxtaposing that type of leadership versus the leader was like, hey, I know you put this boat in jeopardy and damaged the boat, but you almost saved, saved the life. Great job. Great job following policy, doing what you were supposed to do. Granted, you you hurt the asset or you caused some damage to the asset, but you guys were doing your jobs and you made the right decision. I have your back. So I know we talked about that for a while, but it's important to, to bring out these discussions of what effective leadership looks like to one person, what effective leadership looks like to another person. I thought it was interesting when, when I asked Kevin his, his idea or ideal effective leader, he went straight to someone who has his back. And I wonder if because of certain experiences that he has had in his military service, is that now one of the more impactful characteristics of a leader for him? Is it very situational? And we talked about that. We talked about that, and I'll go. We'll talk about that a little bit later. We talked about the regression to the mean, and I am of the mindset, and I don't know if this is right. And I'm kind of talking out loud here. I'm under the mindset that a majority of us are all just average leaders. I like looking at it like that. None of us are special. None of us are on this pedestal of leadership where our leadership abilities are so far superior than others that, you know, our effectiveness levels off the charts. I like to think of all of us just kind of average leaders doing the best job we can with the information we have to work with, the people we have to work with, right? Going back to the military, our teams are selected for us. We don't always get to pick the context that we get to lead in. And that's the, that, that was the fun side of leadership for me. You're, you show up to a unit. When I showed up to my, my unit in, in Long Island as a commanding officer, I didn't get to hire anyone. I showed up, and this was my new team. Figure it out. Make it work, Tim. Get a bunch of people to come together to achieve some common goals. And you know what? That part was kind of easy because the Coast Guard gives you the goals to pursue. You have the mission in front of you. You don't get to pick the mission. You can pick how prepared you are for the mission, how prepared your unit is for the mission. You control that aspect. But the actual main objectives, the core values of the, of the organization, those were fixed for me when I showed up. So again, I like, this, I like this idea that I showed up to the unit just an average leader. I like that. doesn't bother me a bit. I wear that pridefully. I worked on, I do believe that we can always work on improving. Maybe I want to go to average to great. Maybe I want to master the realm of leadership. But it's the pursuit that matters, not actually getting to a level of mastery for me. And again, I don't even know if you can master leadership. I think maybe from a theoretical standpoint, book knowledge, you can have a pretty good idea of different leadership styles, theories, qualitative studies, all that kind of thing. But in the practical sense, it's not a mastery thing. There's too many unknowns every day in the world of human relationships. You are at an organization with 100 people. Those are 100 different personalities. Those are thousands of different character traits that come together and move apart constantly, every single day. How can you master that as a leader? 
I think it might be more easier to master the manager side of managing processes and systems where people can get plugged into different processes and systems. That might be more easy to master than leadership. But anyone that tells you they've mastered leadership, oh man, I would, uh, I might turn around and walk away. Well, I'd at least have some uh, healthy, healthy dose of skepticism with that one. So regression to the mean, we may have great leadership days. We may have some terrible leadership days. But I think Kevin was on to something when we regress back to, to the middle of the bell curve. And again, from a leadosophy standpoint, leadosophy likes thinking of everyone as, as average. No one's special. What's wrong with that? I don't know. Maybe there's something wrong with it. Who knows? I could be off. We talked about leadership. I asked Kevin, can you teach leadership? And we went back and forth uh, for a little while on, on that idea of teaching leadership. I think leadership is very much, I think followership and leadership is very much about modeling. I guess it's kind of like child parent. Not in that authoritarian sense, but I'm just talking about we watch, we look, we emulate, we don't emulate. I've always said, I haven't had a whole lot of, I would call bad bosses. I don't remember having a whole lot of bad. I had a few. And bad, I mean, it just, just leadership styles that I would choose not to follow or try to emulate. But I think you can learn a lot from those, those types of people. And again, one person's bad leader might be another person's great leader. I think at times can be very subjective. The people you choose to follow and emulate and the people you choose to, to jettison their, their ideas, their theories, their methods. But you can learn a lot from, from people you view as, as bad leaders. And again, it's from watching their actions, but I think more importantly, it's from watching the reactions of others around that leader. Look at their mannerisms. You know, it's that meta-awareness when you're in a room full of people and a leader is speaking. What are the, what are the, what's, the, what's your meta-awareness level? You know, am I listening to the leader or am I looking at the reactions of others around me? Right? And as a leader, you can do this too. This is like a hyper, it's, it's kind of weird. It's like a hyper out-of-body experience. I remember teaching team coordination training, teaching leadership in the Coast Guard my last couple of years. And I can remember doing this facilitation, which is, could take anywhere between five and seven hours on, on operational planning, leadership, team effectiveness, risk management. There was a whole, you know, whole day class we do. Very hands-on, very practical. But there were times where when I was talking, I was almost having an outer body experience like, what is my effectiveness level right now as a leader? How are they looking at me? How is the information coming across? Is this not sinking in? Is my message not reaching the intended target? That's like the meta-awareness. So that's the modeling side, I guess. Leader, follower, modeling. And then like a meta-awareness of kind of where you're at. But I go back to, and my wife and I have had this conversation, in the Coast Guard, specifically at the junior level, 
we'll call it the junior enlisted level because this is not so much the case in the officer side. The junior enlisted level, we're talking E3, E4, maybe even E5 pay grades. There is very little leadership training at that level. And what Kevin and I were talking about is, is we, when we were E4s and E5s in the Coast Guard, based on our job specialty, our technical job specialty, we were in leadership roles. We were responsible for anywhere to t- 8 to 10 to 12 to 15 people underneath us. The different ranks beneath us. And on different missions and in contextual situations, we were responsible. We didn't get any formal training on that. We received no formal training on how to lead. But I asked the question, I don't know if this is rhetorical or not, would, it, would that training, had we received it, formal leadership training, would it have made a difference on how we led when we were in our early 20s or mid-20s? I can't answer that. I don't know. I obviously can't go back in time and get that training. But I wondered if I was going to create a training course, a leadership training course for junior enlisted folks. What would that look like? And would it even be beneficial? And again, my wife and I have, has had, have had these conversations about leadership training at a junior level in the military. Even when you're in a leadership role at a junior level, you are so focused on becoming technically competent in your craft. I don't know how much room there is to learn leadership secrets and trades and theories. I think you're just kind of winging it from a leadership competence standpoint. And again, I don't know if that's the right answer. I don't know if you can, I guess the question I should ask is, can you speed up? Can you accelerate the leadership competence portion of your technical competence side? Can you accelerate the process? Are there things or trainings or courses you can take that can close that gap on how long it takes to be an effective leader? And again, leadership effectiveness can be defined in many different ways. So leadosophy likes to point out that we may not all be operating on the same definition when we say leader effectiveness. Or when we ask the question, what makes an effective leader? Everybody may have a different answer. And that answer very well, very well may be dictated by the context of a situation. It could be very fluid. So anyways, leadership training at the, at the junior levels of the military ranks, is it worth it? I don't know. What else do we want to talk about? A few final thoughts on my interview with Kevin before we close it out. Because again, I'm, I'm more about quality, not quantity here. I don't think I need to sit here and talk for 45 minutes on on a post-interview analysis only, but if it warrants warrants it, I will. But again, there was just a few areas I wanted to deep dive here to deepen the understanding. We talked about the technical competence. I could probably do a show every single week on technical competence and how it is linked to your, your credibility as a leader. If you are not technically competent, you will all, there will always be a gap in respect you have by people around you. Or they just dismiss you completely. Kevin brought up the Michael Jordan analogy. And if you haven't seen The Last Dance, the I think it was the ESPN special they did on, on Michael Jordan and the Bulls, 
I think it came out last fall. I think it was last fall. It's fascinating from a leadership perspective, but it's also terrible from a leadership perspective. One of these days, I'm going to do a podcast on why sports are terrible analogies for, for leadership in, a, in, the, in the normal human being sense, right? Normal day-to-day nonprofit organization or for-profit organization or military unit. Professional sports analogies and leadership, I think they just don't do it for me. I'm sorry. I'm a huge sports fan. I love football. Used to love baseball till they went on strike in late 90s. You know, I love sports, but gosh, I just think that sports analogies and leadership is applied to other day to everyday leadership scenarios are just not there for me. They just don't do it. And I don't know what specifically turns me off about sports and leadership analogies. I think it's because you take a professional baseball team or football team or hockey team, or basketball team. They have one objective. They have one mission. That is to win. Nothing else matters. I I could be wrong. I've never played professional sport. But what else matters? Is it not true that your entire paycheck and livelihood is pretty much tied to wins and losses? whether you're the coach or the player, whether you're the general manager or the vice president of operations. Maybe if it's a family-owned business, you have job security and you can focus more on the money business side, right? But if you are a player or if you are a coach in professional sports, your only objective is to win. So from a leadership standpoint, It's real simple. You have one goal. You have one goal. So going back to the Jordan analogy, and we talked about technical competence, everybody followed Michael Jordan, yes, because he was the most technically competent person on the court on every every given night. But in the normal day-to-day sense, there's a lot more to, to leading than just winning. Right? And again, technical competence is important, but Michael Jordan can could have been or was by many he was very obviously he was very had a lot of pride in what he did and didn't accept any anything but anyone's best effort day in and day out a lot of people didn't like the way he led but they followed him anyways because they knew he could help them get to that one objective which was winning in the normal business world i don't know if it's really like that You've, there's multiple object. There might be multiple objectives, and I'm talking overarching, overarching objectives. Um, you know, maybe on the day to day, there might be one objective that could to accomplish. But I don't. know. That was kind of a ramble. I apologize, but there's just again, there's something that doesn't sit well with with professional sports athletes and and leadership analogies in the business world. There might be some crossover as far as character traits and maybe fiery speeches, even fiery speeches doesn't do it for me. I think it's a very, it's like a hit of dopamine. Maybe again, regression back to the mean regression back to the mean that team will succeed based on their preparation and not a fiery speech. In my opinion, 
But anyways, we'd love to hear your thoughts on sports and allergies and leadership. Again, I would love to do, I, I want to unpack, I'm going to unpack that more in another show. I'm going to try to break down why leadosophy hates sports and allergies to leadership. So to, to look, look for that one in the next couple weeks. Okay, the last one I want to talk about is Kevin talked about in the leadership world, in the military specifically, how you lead is, I'm going to see if I can phrase this the right way. It's almost like this illusion of free will. Does that make sense? You think maybe you th- we think we have more influence as a leader than we actually do. And I'm going to try to use an analogy that I got from one of my professors at Florida Atlantic Uni- University, one of my philosophy professors, Professor Banchetti, if you're listening. I got this from you. This is the illusion of free will. Again, this is leadosophy, the fusion of leadership and philosophy. So I'm going to give you this scenario. You walk into an ice cream store and you're not lactose intolerant and you see the cooler of ice cream and when you're walking into the store, all you know is you want ice cream. You don't know what flavor you want. You're open. Your mind's open here. You walk into the store, you look into the case, and you see three flavors. Chocolate, Superman, Superman ice cream. Have you ever had that stuff? Man, it's good. It's obviously the, all the different colors. So chocolate, Superman ice cream, and hazelnut. Now, you may not be super keen on any three of those flavors. Maybe I said four flavors. Was there four flavors? We'll call it the fourth flavor of vanilla. There you go. All right, so there's four flavors. I just told you what they are. Do you have free will to pick any ice cream you, you want to eat? What if you wanted strawberry? You walk into the ice cream shop and there's only four flavors. Strawberry is not one of them. But you still have free will to choose what's there the four out of the four flavors. Do you really have free will though? Your picks were constrained. They were given to you. You didn't get to choose the flavors. You get to choose the, the final flavor that you picked. But you didn't get to choose the flavors that you had to choose from. So do you really have free will? It's almost like a paradox, right? So back to how you're probably like, Tim, what, did, what in the world does that have to do with leadership? Leadership is, I think, a lot or maybe a lot like that. Again, I go back into my time on Long Island, my Coast Guard unit in Long Island. I walked into that situation nearly 10 years ago. And the only thing I got to pick was the unit I was going to. And even then, that was given to me as one of my options. Right? Again, illusion of free will. But when I showed up to that unit and take command, things were already in place. The mission was in place. The people were in place. The assets were in place. How much influence do I really have as a leader? It's an interesting question. 
Interesting question. The ice cream shop analogy. I th- now, I'm not saying I didn't. I, we don't have any influence. But again, so many things are contextually in place for us every day in, in a leadership role. Even the decisions that we make, there's certain decisions we're forced into certain decisions we have to make. So that's my final thought on on contextual situations and fixed conditions as a leader. The illusion of free will. Or maybe we have complete free will. Who knows? You should check out some Schopenhauer on free will. Good stuff. All right, folks. That's enough of the, the analysis and, re, and recap of my Kevin, Kevin Morgan interview. Again, dynamic interview. Kevin's a lot of fun. We're going to do it again probably in a couple weeks. Kevin, if you're listening to this, I know you want some redemption. Want a, want a little more preparation, and, and that's cool. I'll give it to you. I'll give you some, some good questions that we can talk about. You got to watch Kevin. Kevin likes to get into some, some sort of the, uh, the, the more inflammatory topics. So I want to get Kevin maybe on, on, on the show, and we'll talk about some more sensitive leadership areas, which should be a lot of fun. So, all right, folks, hope you enjoyed this, this analysis and recap this episode of Leadosophy. Remember, Leadosophy is, using, is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of leadership and of life, I will say, of life as well. All right, thanks for watching. See you next time. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.